Okie dokie, oh. a podcast for those addicted to the study of scripture. Welcome fellow addicts, this is your safe place to OD. Samuel! Here I am. What are we going to talk about today? Today we are continuing our journey through the Gospels. This is Gospels part 32. Last week we saw where the Pharisees were asking Jesus why he dined with sinners and tax collectors, and he answered them by saying that those who are well or those who are pursuing righteousness have no need for a physician, but those Mm. who are sick, those who do not know the path of righteousness, who do not know the path of Torah. And he he showed them to go and learn, go and see what it means. Uh, And we're going to see this again and again throughout the Gospels of God desiring mercy and not sacrifice. And what that means is that it's one thing to be obedient to the letter of the law, but it's another thing to have the spirit of the law, to have the inner intentions behind why you follow those commandments to pursue justice and compassion and mercy and alleviating suffering in people's lives. That's what is the the deeper meaning behind following the commandments. And he was challenging the Pharisees to try to implement that aspect within their walk with Torah. Yeah, We also saw that uh, people were asking why Jesus and his disciples were not fasting, and John the Baptist and his, his disciples were. Uh, and we saw him introduce another illustration or parable about a bridegroom and those who are with the bridegroom. It's a time of celebration, and that when the bridegroom goes away— That is the time for, if you want to call it mourning or fasting, doing those things to mark the absence of something important being with you. Uh, And it's this Jewish aspect of when you have an opportunity to choose celebration or mourning, the celebration takes precedence over that. And that's a very, very uh, strong decision in the world to do that's filled with darkness and mourning and sickness yeah. and downcastness. So very, very tough thing to wrestle through. Uh, we also had a parable about uh, wine skins and wine and how that corresponds to the type of learner or the type of existing foundation that you have with truth and God's knowledge and that Our aim is to be both a new wineskin, which means be open to new interpretations within our lives and our walks, and seek to have new wine introduced within our lives. Seek to find the, the hidden treasures within God's story, the new things that can continue to grow our faith uh, so that we can love God and love our neighbor well. And we wrapped up last week with uh, Jesus and his disciples walking through grain fields on the Sabbath, and the disciples were rubbing some of the heads together to get the grain and eat them, and we saw that that was a definite violation of the Sabbath. And now we're going to see how Jesus is going to respond from people's accusations that they did violate the Sabbath. Yeah, big, big deal. But... If you've already been listening to the podcast along the way, you're probably already in a pretty good place thinking, maybe this isn't as bad as it sounds, but it's still a really important, important thing that we see that it was a violation and Jesus wasn't saying that it wasn't. Mm -hmm. So let's keep going and see what we got. All right. Well, 
we are picking up in Matthew chapter 12, verses 3 and 4, Mark chapter 2, verses 25 and 26, and Luke chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. I'm going to go ahead and read the Mark version, and uh, part of the reason is because it raises a little controversy. So before we even get to the part where we understand what Jesus is saying in response, we have to deal with a weird issue. But anyway, let's go ahead and do it. Mark 2.25. And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him? Okay, so it's a really good setup, but let's go deal with this weird issue real quick. I'm sorry that I have to spend time on this, but if I don't, it'll come back to bite us later. So here we go. First Samuel chapter 21, verses 1 through 6, has this story. And here's the problem. Uh, my Samuel, not First Samuel. <laughs> <laughs> when you read that story, you won't find... Abiathar. You're going to find Ahimelech. Now, for some, they look at this, and I mean, you can you can hear it, right? Oh, Jesus made a mistake, or Jesus didn't know his scriptures, or the Bible has clear and undeniable contradictions, problems, mistakes, whatever. Therefore, Judaism, Christianity, you know what? All religion. It's just false and to be ignored. So, there you go. Podcast over. But, of course, this is all very silly. We do have to be fair, though, Samuel. This is definitely problematic. True? Definitely. Yeah. Okay, and I'm just going to say, I'm not going to solve the problem for us all today. There have been smart people arguing about this for a long time. And here's here are some things just sort of add to the puzzle. Uh, if you were in First Samuel, and if you were to keep reading, you're going to find that Abiathar is the son of Ahimelech. Okay, well, at least there's a relationship there. So maybe that's a positive, negative, I don't know. Uh, But in other scriptures, sadly, you're going to find that Ahimelech is the son of Abiathar. And I know these are weird names. I don't know if you caught that. They're backwards. So uh, what is this? Are we talking about the same people? Or are these different people? Uh, Could it be something like a, a grandpa and a grandson? Like Abiathar has a son named Ahimelech and Ahimelech has a son named Abiathar or something? I I don't know. The point is, you keep reading, you keep trying to work it out. What you find is, it's a real mess. It isn't, it's a mess in the Old Testament scriptures. And then, how crazy, Jesus brings this mess forward and it's part of his proof or his argument back toward the Pharisees. So, here's what I want to get at about all of this. I'll I'll talk for me. My faith does not rest on this idea that it is imperative, that, that, that it, it, it's impossible for there to be any kind of error in the text. Now, it may be, it may be, and the only reason we think that we see error is our own ignorance or, or lack of info or something. What? Okay, maybe, but my faith doesn't rest on that. And here's what I mean. If we're talking about the scriptures and we say that it's divinely inspired, if we say that it is God-breathed, well, that doesn't have to mean 100% perfect 
and accurate. But it does have to mean that it is 100% true. I was trying to think of some sort of analogy, picture, or something. So, Samuel, think of it this way. Let's say you shoot an arrow. If we were to get all technical about it, you know, some of the machines we have today tracking the path and this and that, all those things, we might look at the flight of this arrow and say that it's filled with tiny imperfections. But in the end, we know that the arrow still hits the mark. And when it does, we say that that arrow flies true. Do you see how you can have Mm -hmm. imperfections and trueness remains, that kind of thing? Yeah. That's what I'm trying to to paint a picture here. So, okay, so so how does this relate to Scripture? Well, you got to remember the whole story that we're involved in here. It's about God partnering with man. You've got these scriptures, and they involve both God and man. And so, you know, I don't know if you if we somehow get to the big end of this story and we get to stand before God and ask questions, and it's like, hey, what's wrong with Matthew 2, 25 and 26? That would be Mark. Thank you very much. You know, he just kind of giggles and says, yep, total brain fart on Mark's part. Sorry about that. Okay, maybe, maybe he'll say that. I don't know. The point is, even if that were true, it doesn't diminish the whole story, the actual redemption story that God's been working out, you know, since since the garden, right? Now, for me, I, I hold the scriptures in very high regard. Okay, it would be very surprising and unexpected that there would be problems in the text, real actual problems. And it may be that any of the many possible explanations for this little verse right here, how it's not an error and everything is right, you know, maybe it can all be worked out. I'm just saying I'm not going to act like I somehow know. I live with little problems like this. This isn't the only one. And I'm okay with them. Number one, because I don't know what I don't know. And number two, you don't have to be 100% absolutely completely perfect to be true, right? So mm-hmm. anyway, that's me. I'm okay with it. I hope everybody else is. You, Samuel, everybody listening. I, I hope you're okay with it too. And I, okay, too much time on it already, <laughs> right? Yeah. So how about we get back to the story? Sure. Can we do that? Yeah. Okay. Did I make sense? Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. All right. So back to the story. The disciples have technically violated the Sabbath, at least according to the Pharisees, And I think we're going to see because Jesus doesn't offer a rebuttal like, no, it isn't a violation and here's why, okay? Well, he kind of does, but we'll see what I mean. He offers them examples to help them see how it is that what's going on is actually, you know, quote unquote, okay. So the story of David, the story of David and his men. Now, again, I said that this was a weird example. Check this out. We know a couple of things. Uh, you go back and read it, Samuel. I, I don't know if, how familiar you are with it, or, but if you went back and read it, read it, you, what you would find is David appears to be, you know, telling a story, telling a fib, if you will, to the priest. He kind of tricks him out of the bread and even a weapon or some weapons. And if we went further, and it depends on who's reading and what they think they're seeing, some would even go so far as to suggest that David didn't even actually have any men with him at this point. So, I I mean, 
the, the story in and of itself is problematic, and let alone Jesus bringing it forward here in the Gospel of Mark. It's all kind of crazy. Uh, but others, and this is also interesting information, uh, some surmise that this all must have occurred on the Sabbath. Now, why would that be? Because Sabbath is the day that they bake the bread. Sabbath is the day that they replace the old bread with the new bread, and the priests are supposed to eat the old bread, which, by the, more, by the way, has been miraculously preserved and is still fresh when they eat it. How about that? Anyway, that's why they think it happens on the Sabbath. But again, the Mark version is problematic. The original version is problematic. Everything is, is, is a problem. And yet this is what Jesus chooses to use as part of his, his uh, defense, if you will. But have we ever seen Jesus do this before, Samuel? I feel like it's ringing a bell. Yeah. Can you think back, John, uh, right before, right before the most famous verse of all time? Yeah, there's that uh, story that Jesus used in John 3 about uh, God telling Moses to make that bronze serpent statue for people to, like, look to in order to be healed if they were bitten by something and poisoned. Yeah, also, the original story, also crazy and problematic in its own way, and yet Jesus brings it forward and uses it as some sort of proof or defense or whatever. It just... This is crazy stuff right here in our Bibles. But if we could, maybe if we now just sort of step aside from, you know, the controversy or the rough edges or whatever you want to call it, what are some things that we can see here? Well, David was desperate. David was in need. And Jesus explicitly states that what he did was unlawful. It's all important little bits, right? So here we got the disciples, technical violation of the Sabbath, and now we've got this story about David and the priest and the, the, the bread and whatever. What is Jesus's point? How is this defense or proof? Well, Sammy, we've said it a bunch of times. The pursuit of mercy over and above rules and regulations. This is the important part. Again, back to Matthew 9, 13. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. He's prioritizing the alleviation of suffering and preservation of life over strict adherence to the law. Now, I know it probably sounds like we're repeating ourselves, but here we go. Jesus is not denying that the original picking and rubbing and eating was a violation. He's not denying that. He's simply demonstrating proper priorities within the law, the whole law, alleviating suffering, mercy, justice, etc. Those are all the higher, the weightier portions of the law. And we're going to see that more as we continue. He's not ending it. He's showing them how they've misunderstood it, misprioritized it, misapplied it. And if we could even go back, remember when he healed the guy back at the pool? Mm -hmm. There was an actual technical dispute surrounding that one. Was healing on the Sabbath an actual violation or not? Some said, hey, you can only do it to save a life. Others said, nope, you can do it because you don't really know whether you're saving a life or not. And Jesus seemed to side with healing on the Sabbath was not a violation. But here, there is no technical dispute. This is technically 
a violation. But Jesus' reasoning remains consistent across both instances, and this is super important as we read the rest of these as we go through the Gospels. Gotcha. One of the things that you said that I'm wrestling with, and maybe other people are as well, you had said that Jesus is not denying that this is a violation of the Sabbath, and he's demonstrating the proper priorities within the law. Yep. How do we walk that line between seeing this or not seeing this as like committing a sin against the law in order to promote some higher good like mercy or compassion or sacrifice for someone else's benefit like i know that jesus is not promoting like oh violate the law so that you can do these grander things but it's a very weighty thing to try to balance to say that how am i supposed to choose if god wants me to follow the law but he also wants me to pursue the higher things as well Yeah, it's a great question, and it's a really hard one that we wrestle with in our walk through this life with God. Now, as a general rule, what you would want to be able to do is go to the Scripture, any of the Scripture, uh, we might say especially the the Torah, we could also say especially the words of Jesus, etc., and if you can find an example to sort of rest your case on, well, that, that would be the best approach, right? The, the whole idea of mercy and justice and all of these things being preeminent over the, the, the regulations of the law, they come back to Scripture, things like, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, right? All of those things. So, I'm not going to act like it's not a gray area. It is. And, but that's, that is part of getting God's will, God's instructions into us through the scriptures, most specifically the Torah and the law, so that we can grow in these things and actually learn to discern them for ourselves. Plus, you got to think we all live with this, this access to the Holy Spirit. And one of the main jobs of the Holy Spirit is to instruct us in righteousness, help us to understand God's will, and therefore, you got that on your side as well. So, I can't hand you something black and white. Here's the list, Samuel, but I can tell you, look, it's your job to pursue that. That's how you work out your salvation, if you will, right? Mm -hmm. Obviously, you're not earning salvation through it, but once you're saved, and you are supposed to be this new creation, this new righteous creature. How do you do that? Well, that's it. Hmm. It's tough. Yeah. Got that right. Okay. So, uh, so he gives the one example about David, and then he goes on and gives another one. We get to Matthew uh, chapter 12, verse 5, and he says this. Or, have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath? And are guiltless. Okay. It kind of sounds like my question. <laughs> well, and, and I think it, it probably is. And, and so let's, let's look at how they work through this. Jesus, uh, here, uh, um, he's bringing a, a completely non-controversial explanation. Everybody knows you're not supposed to do anything on the Sabbath, and everybody knows that the priests have to do this stuff on the Sabbath. So what's going on here? We could say 
that the priests are like the biggest violators of the Sabbath all the time. And they're doing all kinds of stuff on Sabbath. They, they're killing animals. They are lighting fires. They're uh, uh, putting the, the coals on the incense, uh, lighting the menorah, baking bread. All of these things are clear violations of the Sabbath. And I'm going to say it again, technically. But in this case, we can see it looking back. They see it in Jesus's day. It's all very clear. They recognize that certain laws take priority over other laws. And that's okay. It's actually good. It's right. And in this case, the one about the priests in the temple on the Sabbath, there's no misunderstanding. It's a clear example for all to see. And so you kind of get the idea in the same way that the priests are okay in doing what they're doing. It's similar. Mercy and justice trump the ritual concerns. But we're going to see it. It's going to get better. I want to note, uh, Jesus specifically calls the priests guiltless. This is important because we can now apply this back to the David story, right? David is guiltless, at least with respect to the point that Jesus is making and in the story, the way it's presented. And you're going to see Matthew kind of agreeing with it below. And if the priests are guiltless and David is guiltless, then we must be heading toward the disciples were also uh, guiltless. This, uh, For what it's worth, when we say that the priests are guiltless, uh, it might even be important to note that they're guiltless with regard to their service to the temple. And it, me kind of planting some seeds for the verses that are coming up, This the, the temple, their service in the temple is the greatest thing that they know, if you want to say it that way. Uh, that'll be important. But in the end, okay, so, so, so we got the disciples, the violation, we've got the David story, and now the priest story. Here's a, just a big, big key. If you find yourself agreeing with the idea that Jesus was a Sabbath breaker, you have to recognize that you are agreeing with his enemies. You're saying he didn't qualify to be Messiah. You're saying that he deserved to die, just like all of the rest of us. And that's simply unacceptable. He's either a sinless savior or he's not. And if he's a sinless savior, he didn't break the Sabbath. Mm. It's important. So important. So let's go on and see how that works. Now this one, whoo, I think I'm going to be stretching you a little bit, Samuel. You ready? Um, <laughs> let's do it. All right. So Matthew chapter 12, verses 6 through 8. Also Mark ver- chapter 2, verses 27 and 28. And Luke chapter 6, verse 5. Uh, I'm going to read from Matthew, and then I'm also going to grab a little bit of Mark. So here we go. Matthew uh, 12, 6. I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of of the Sabbath. Now, Mark slips in this extra little bit that's kind of important. Uh, In verse 27, he says, and he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Okay. 
What's that? Uh, what's that little toy where you can you can pull the the thing and he kind of bounces back into sh- Stretch Armstrong? <laughs> All right, Matt uh, Samuel, you're going to have to be Stretch Armstrong. You ready? Yep, shaking my arms right now. All right, here it goes. So when he says something greater than the temple is here, have you ever heard this, Samuel? What does everybody say that is? That's Jesus. Jesus. Yes. Now, okay. Simple question. Was Jesus, is Jesus greater than the temple? Sure. Yes, of course he is. There's no argument there. But that may not be exactly what's meant here. And here's what I mean. In this case, if you're going to say that Jesus is greater than the temple, then you're making an argument that kind of goes a little beyond its bounds. Here's what happens. If the priests aren't guilty for their service in the temple on the Sabbath, then my disciples aren't guilty for their service for or with the Messiah. And and then that leads to, well, Jesus can change the rules any way that he wants because he's God. Or that may lead you even further to think things like, well, yeah, God's just ending the Sabbath. Jesus is Lord over it. He, he's get doing away with it. He can do whatever, whatever. Okay. The natural end of the argument that Jesus is the something greater than the temple in the context of this whole thing is that Jesus can do whatever he wants. Now, here you go, Sam. Are you ready? I would like you to take this same logical approach, and I would like you to apply it to any of the other Ten Commandments. For example, use this logic for he is the Lord of, the, of uh, adultery. Thou shalt not commit adultery. How's that working out for you? Uh, so uncomfortable, I don't even want to try to give it an answer. <laughs> okay, how about thou shalt not commit murder? He is the Lord of thou shalt not commit murder. He can do whatever he wants. Does that work for you? It doesn't seem to hold up very well. No, it doesn't. And it's, I mean, again, we're not saying Jesus, he definitely is greater than the temple, but that's not what he means here. He's not talking about himself. So what's he talking about? That's a hard question too. So what is in context the whole subject that we're dealing with? What does this all start with, Samuel? Um, well, both the David story and the Jesus story, there's people in need. They're hungry. Yeah. And the disciples, when they were walking through the field, they were hungry. Yeah. It all starts with human need. That's the context. So what's the thing that's more, that, that's greater than the temple? I guess. Could be man. Yeah. They're man's need. Yeah. So here's how it goes. On one hand, Jesus is showing, showing us human need is more important than, let's say, the temple service. That was the David story about the bread. And so there's your equation. Human need greater than temple service. On the other hand, he was showing us that the temple service was more important than the Sabbath. Remember, the priests were working on the Sabbath in the temple. So there's another equation. Temple service greater than Sabbath. And so you put all this together and the big takeaway is that human need is then also more important than Sabbath regulation. The the, the equation looks like human need is greater than temple service. Temple service is greater than Sabbath. 
Therefore, human need greater than Sabbath. Right? Simple equation. Now, for what it's worth, Jesus didn't make all this up. We always get that picture. Jesus is inventing all these things. He didn't. They already had this logic in place in a lot of ways. Jesus is just expanding on it a little bit. So, Samuel, read Leviticus 18.5. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. Yeah. So, what they did is they went back to Leviticus 18.5 and they said, well, look, it says you got to keep the statutes and rules. If you do them, you live by them. Therefore, doing them should never cause the opposite of living by them. Now, the simple, easy one is death, right? So you can, you can save someone from dying on the Sabbath, as an example. But they also, at least at some points, had considered, okay, but, but how far do you go with that? Is it black and white? Is it just life and death alone? Or could it be, you know, some, some gray area, the suffering and, and, and etc.? So they had already done this in Judaism in general. Jesus is just bringing it sort of to its fruition, if you want to think of it that way. Uh, Again, just as the priests are considered guiltless, and even David is considered guiltless in his story, well, then so are the disciples. And he goes back to Matthew 9, 13. Mercy, uh, justice, etc., they're more important than sacrifice and temple, the rules and regulations. But now we got to get to this idea. The Sabbath was made for man. The expressed purpose of the Sabbath, and we could go back to Exodus 23, 12. You can see it, and that's not the only place. But Samuel, I know you know this stuff. What, what was the purpose of Sabbath? The, the easiest answer. Uh, to give humanity rest. Yeah, that they could rest, right? And it wasn't just man. It also gave rest to all of creation by extension, if we could think of it that way. Mm -hmm. But it did something else. And Samuel, I know you know this. What did it do for man in terms of his understanding of God and himself and creation and all of that? Uh, It was supposed to be a reminder that man's identity is not in the things that you do, you know, throughout your week contrary like outside of the sabbath but your identity is in that god created you and he declared you good and that he wants you to rest in that yes yes and it it helps us we can we can then look at at life in general all around us and recognize that it's it's really god who is the one who's taking care of all creation Man has been given dominion. Man is, in a sense, partnering with God and all of that. But in the end, God is the one who's truly sustaining it all. Creation, every important thing, will continue. They're all in God's hands, even when man steps away one out of seven days. Man needed to see the value of rest, refreshing, regularly, once a week. And man needed to see that God was in control and caring for their every need, even while they were resting regularly, seeing that who they were was important as opposed to what they did Mm -hmm. regularly. And so if if Sabbath was made for man, the other side of that is Sabbath was not 
or man was not made for the Sabbath. And so these regulations around Sabbath, and who cares what your intentions are, all these regulations could, in the worst case, actually be a burden on a person. And of course, that's the exact opposite of rest and refreshing. And again, he's not ending Sabbath. He's bringing clarity, proper observance. Now, okay, this is going to get a little hard. Uh, you know what? I think I'm going to do it backwards. Let's do the Lord of the Sabbath. So, the, 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 the whole phrase is, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Okay, so if... When we say son of man, we're talking about something greater than the temple. And if we say that that's referring to Jesus, then, you know what? Just as we've seen Jesus claim authority and power regarding uh, life and judgment and forgiving sin, etc. Well, we could say that he's now claiming authority over, over Sabbath, and and this would be a beautiful picture, especially awesome picture when we think about his kingship and the kingdom. The kingdom is altogether Sabbath. That would be good. And I'm not saying that that's a bad interpretation or a bad way to look at it, except that, again, we've already discussed, I'm not sure the thing greater than the temple is Jesus. And so we have to go back and say, well, what do we mean when we say that the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath? Remember what son of man means, Samuel, if we're not talking about Messiah? Doesn't it mean just humanity, like mankind? Yeah, everyone who's born human, right? And remember how we talked about the vast majority of references to son of man, especially in the Old Testament, but through the whole Bible, are just meaning human. Son of man means human. But Jesus uses that title occasionally for himself, and so That's how it's appeared here in your text. You've probably even got it capitalized. Capital S, capital M, son of man. But the Greek doesn't have it that way. Of course, the Greek doesn't have it that way in any instance, anywhere. That the thing is, we can kind of make sense of it both ways. Um, if, If we were talking about Jesus, it would be capitalized. Or if we're talking about men in general, it would not be capitalized. If it's Jesus, all we've said about the Lord of the Sabbath and relating to the kingdom and all that, that would be good. It would make sense. It would be true. But if what we're talking about is simply mankind, if in your English Bible it should be a lowercase s and a lowercase m, then what we see being said takes us back to the order of creation and how all-important that was. Because, remember, he created man as like the pinnacle of creation. It was on day six, right? Mm -hmm. And it was day seven that was given. It was made, it was given, it was separated, whatever you want to call it, for man. And just as man was given dominion over everything else in creation, in some sense, then, he also gets dominion over the Sabbath as opposed to the Sabbath having dominion over him. Does that kind of make sense? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not that man can somehow deny the Sabbath or eliminate the Sabbath, but he can be served by it as he properly cares for it. That's what dominion means, right? To properly care for the things under your control. So, uh, and, and that's, of course, opposed to, you know, like serving serving Sabbath for its own sake. So, 
I'm suggesting, look, you could read this and you could go, hey, the Son of Man, he's talking about Jesus. It's that title. And you could make sense of it. And okay, good. Yeah. But you could also read it as Son of Man, like just meaning human, having dominion over the Sabbath. And I guess what I'm suggesting is when you take the whole thing in its context, that's actually the way that makes more sense. Yeah, that's so good. And have a couple things maybe to add to this conversation. And I'm not trying to knock on anybody who may be thinking this or have this conviction currently, but I've heard people in the past say that in defense of that there's no need to observe the Sabbath because of this verse that the Son of Man referring to Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. They they say that, well, Jesus is my Sabbath. Jesus is my rest. Therefore, because of what he's done, the this other Sabbath from the old ways doesn't mean anything compared to what Jesus has accomplished. And I'm not denying that there is truth in that and that there's good right. in that, but right. I don't think that that allows a space for what the Sabbath truly is intended for. Like, kind of in my mind, I picture Sabbath as like this big exhale in one's life from all of the hustle and bustle of creating and producing and caretaking, having dominion. Like God is trying to set aside a space for you to exhale and to be able to reflect yeah. on who you are and who he is. And if you don't allow time for that, like how can you even be able to appreciate the things that you have created appreciate the things God has created. Yeah. And so I I just wanted to bring that up that like there there's a place for both of them but I definitely like like you said I want to reiterate that like I think it's so important especially in modern like western evangelical circles for us to be trying to attempt to practice a sabbath because it's so important in the Jewish faith and I think it's it would be so important for us I think it would benefit our lives immensely to be able to have that exhale in a culture that is so focused on production and so focused on your value on how much stuff that you can get done yeah um and then I know that we both have learned this from first fruits of Zion I just I really love the son of man being like humanity is lord of the sabbath in that it's like kind of like god giving humanity sabbath and saying like this is meant for your good now like you get to choose how you want to like make that happen in your life and and then we see in these cases where people were using the sabbath and it was actually diminishing other people's way of life yeah, and yeah. Jesus is calling us back to no. If if you have an opportunity to benefit someone's life on the Sabbath, then you are actually providing Sabbath for that person. Yeah, but that that does not mean that we still should not keep Sabbath ourselves, or that right. we should unnecessarily say that. Oh, I, I'm I'm going to go out of my way to find these place places or situations where I can you know, do good, promote mercy, promote sacrifice so that I don't have to keep a Sabbath. I think that's abusing it as well. Like I think that there's place for places for both of them. Yeah. It always comes back to that thing that you and I have said a million times. It's not that 
we would we would require people to keep the law in a covenant way like the Jews are supposed to. It's more like you're missing out because you keep trying to poo-poo the law to to somehow make it of of no account or no value or whatever. You're missing out on the beauty of what it can bring to your life. Entering into it voluntarily as part of your faithful and loyal service to God. I don't know. It's, your points are yeah. good, Samuel. It's good stuff. Yeah, some of my f- most cherished times over the past couple of years is taking the time during the weekend to light a Sabbath candle, to cook some of the you know most beloved foods that we like, and being able to do things that you know are fun and entertaining for us with our our family, and to just to be able to let go of the other things responsibilities of the world and just to be able to soak in that you're resting and that god is in control like that's just it's really good yeah and i mean this is kind of crazy i don't know if i should say this out loud or not it's like god approved procrastination (laughs) where are you ever gonna get that Don't tell me that. I already struggle with procrastination enough. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I've made it cartoonish. But you got you get the you get what we're saying. You get what we're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. So we should move on. But I want to take a moment, a little ta-da moment. Uh, and please don't hold me to like some technical detail or something. But I just want to point out, we've been doing these podcasts for a while. And some people think that we're going slow or whatever. This is a mile marker. This is an important point. We are basically one-fourth of the way through the Gospels. Heck yeah, I insert some applause right here. That's, That's awesome. right, yeah. Yeah, for those who didn't think we'd ever even make it this far, <laughs> here we are. So We've you can say it. that we're slow, but we're not that slow. That's right. That's right. Progress you don't even recognize. All right, so let's keep going. Uh, Matthew chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. Mark chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. And Luke chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. I'm going to read from Matthew. He says this. He went on from there and entered their synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? so that they might accuse him. All right, important things. Where is Jesus, Samuel? He's in a synagogue. In a synagogue, teaching again. You've got to get your mental image of Jesus, you know, to include lots of synagogue time. He was there a lot. And then notice that Samuel, uh, I'm sorry, (laughs) Samuel, Matthew makes the story a little bit more personal. He calls it their synagogue. And I'm assuming that that means the the guys who were just busting his chops about, you know, the grain in the field, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, the encounter that they're having here, it's pretty contentious. Now, Mark and Luke, they just present it as if the scribes and the Pharisees, you know, they're, they're just watching, keeping an eye out, seeing what he's going to do. But Matthew, he actually has them pushing the issue, like actually asking a question about Sabbath law. And of course, I mean, let's just say it, uh, this fits very well into the, the modern image of uh, Pharisees and, and who or what they were. Um, they're the bad guys. Again, 
but please just remember, it's just some of them. The question they ask, though, and I mean, I guess this is me just trying to be fair to them. Uh, this question shows up in other Jewish writings, and, and it sort of demonstrates that this is a it's a controversy of the day of the time, though it's a minor one. And uh, I guess maybe just an attempt at giving them the benefit of the doubt. Maybe this what seems to be a trap question. Uh, you know, it maybe there is some bit of a genuine side to it. Maybe they really do want to learn something from him. But what's important to see is that technically healing was unlawful, at least if we're considering the substantial majority opinion. We already know that Jesus doesn't agree with it, but whatever. So, so again, we see that. And can I just say, Samuel, can you imagine if you're this guy? Hey, you're just, you know, you're in the synagogue, you got your withered hand, you see Jesus, you kind of know who he is, and you're thinking to yourself, hey, man, that's the guy. Maybe I could get healed too. But then you got all these Pharisees and you got this showdown coming on, right? And everything's, it's, it's uncomfortable. You know what I'm saying? So I don't know. I feel sorry for this guy. Anyway, we've already seen Jesus heal on the Sabbath. The Pharisees have probably heard that he's done it before, or maybe they, these are the ones that saw the guy from the pool. I don't know. Uh, but the Pharisees see this as an opportunity. If they can catch him, heal, you know, actually in the midst of healing someone, well, then they might be able to get him into some deep trouble. They can, I mean, at the very least, they can accuse him before the Sanhedrin and maybe worse. Maybe they can get him arrested or killed or something, right? And just, I mean, think of the mindset. The mindset is, would you stop healing people? (laughs) It's crazy, right? Yeah. But, you know, they don't see it that way. But, you know, sitting on the outside, it's just, it's a weird situation. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, is this kind of a turning point for the Pharisees? I know that we previously have said that you know Jesus fits into the camp of pharisaic thought and that previous interactions with them they were feeling out where Jesus was at because they wanted Jesus to be on their side within their circles that kind of thing but with this being the text explicitly saying so that they might accuse him are they are they starting to is the text kind of implying that they're starting to shift their opinion of him from someone that we want to be on their side to they're becoming a thorn in our side that we want to get out of our circle? Yeah, super great question. So I think it would be better to think of it this way. Again, you have some Pharisees who are all on board with this Jesus thing. They think it's awesome. And then you have some Pharisees who hate it. They, they think it's messing everything up. And so I think what you're seeing is not so much the Pharisees were on his side and then they moved to not being on his side to something more like uh, the ones, the, 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 the group of the Pharisees that aren't on his side are, are simply becoming the dominant voice and the ones who are on his side are becoming silent. Mm. So I think the groups continue to exist. It's just the squeaky wheel getting the grease kind of a thing. Gotcha. Yeah. 
And is a withered hand just like a paralyzed hand or one that didn't develop all the way to maturity? Yeah, another good question. Don't know. I I think both of those are very reasonable uh, possibilities, but I don't know. Hmm. Yeah. Look it up. Tell us later. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So he goes on. He gets to Matthew uh, chapter 12, verses 11 and 12. Mark chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. Luke chapter 6, verses 8 and 9. And I actually think we're going to read two of these because they're kind of different. Matthew, he says, he said to them, which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Now, Mark presents it a little different. Let's go ahead and read that. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save life or to kill? But they were silent. All right, two very different pictures here. So let's talk about the Matthew one. Jesus, he's going back to real life situations. Uh, and and, and the, I guess kind of the point is to, to further prove that his view of the Sabbath is right. So he uses things that they already understand to be okay. Notice they don't in any way refute this idea of saving the animal. So rescuing an animal from a pit or any other physical danger or trouble was allowed. It was considered okay. Even to the point of leading animals to drink when no water was readily available. Also okay. These were ordinary acts of kindness and mercy to animals that were accepted on the Sabbath. And since a man is worth more than the other creatures, God says so, not me, then it is also lawful to do good to men or for men on the Sabbath. Now, overall, this seems like pretty good logic. Yeah, Samuel? Mm-hmm. What we, what we need to learn to recognize, and this is going to be much easier to see later, there's a type of argument, the Colvacomer. It's, it's from the light to the heavy. If it's okay to do good for an animal, how much more okay is it to do good for a man? Mm, yeah. From the light to the heavy. Now, but Mark, though, Mark and Luke, actually, they're kind of in agreement here. Instead of just showing them and making a statement, Jesus actually tries to get the Pharisees to see it for themselves through these questions. And and what he does is he actually presents them with an impossible choice. And what I mean is, by not doing one, you do the other. So which one do you want to do? Like, if you do good by acting versus are you going to do harm by not acting? Or similarly, are you going to save a life by acting or are you going to kill by not acting? See, the Pharisees, they're not dumb. 
I don't care what anybody tells you. They're not dumb. They know that they can't answer. They're stuck. So they just remain silent. And sadly, even after this, they're going to stay so focused on their rules, not really seeing what Jesus is showing them. They just refuse to see it. Um, They're going to try to take him down anyway. Hmm. Read this, Samuel. This... uh, Tell the story for us. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 27 and 28. All right. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again tomorrow. I will give it when you have it with you. Now, is that not exactly what Jesus is saying to them? (laughs) Yeah. Don't withhold doing good until tomorrow when it's in your power to do it today. Now, it doesn't explicitly say, even if it's the Sabbath, but you see the, the, the match. Here's another one. Samuel, read James chapter 4, verse 17. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Again, is that not exactly what Jesus is saying? Mm-hmm. It's so good. That was Proverbs. That was old Jewish thinking. That was James. That was later apostolic thinking, if we can call it that, right? We see it. Jesus is not saying in any of these Sabbath stories that these are not real Sabbath violations. They are. He's simply showing that acts of mercy and compassion, doing good is lawful on the Sabbath. It takes precedence over these other other ritual rules or, or whatever. And Samuel, again, did you notice Jesus like makes the guy stand up? Hey, yeah. come over here with your yeah. hand, right? <laughs> this poor guy. I mean, again, he's probably hopeful, joyful even. Jesus is there, right? And yet he's so uncomfortable because here he is right in the middle of this fight. Ah! Awkward. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I was just having this picture of like Jesus holding the withered hand in his own hand while he's looking at the Pharisees and like say, asking these things. Yeah, it's got to be just super uncomfortable. But hey, uh, boy, I guess I don't want to give it away. I guess it's another cliffhanger. Oh man, we're getting good at these. Yeah. It's just that... Uh, I mean, it's only a couple verses, but you know us, we're so windy that uh, <laughs> we can't do it in just a couple minutes that remain, so I think we got to cut it here. Okie dokie. Thank you for listening to the Okie dokie Most podcast. Please don't forget to hit that subscribe button so that you're notified when our episodes release on Sundays at 7 p.m. so that you never miss an episode. We also would really appreciate it if you rated and reviewed our podcast to let us know how this content is impacting your life. Our podcast is now available on all podcasting platforms, so please make sure you check us out on your electronic device. You can also visit our official website at www.okidokimos.com for more information or to listen online. And we'd love to hear from you. Please feel free to send any questions or concerns at okidokimos at gmail.com. And until next time, we pray that you will do your best to present yourself to God as one approved a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. We'll talk to you again soon.